Welcome to the Thurfield Chapel Sermon Podcast. Okay, uh, just a few announcements before we begin. Um, although we're always happy for children to be uh, in the service, we are making, trying to make that back room into a bit more of a creche. So if people want to go out and take their children out of the space to do that, um, we're, we're in the process of doing it. So there's some things that we're clearing out. Um, and it also means that we used to use that as kind of a bit of a dumping room. So just sort of like generally speaking, um, we're going to try to avoid dumping stuff in there in the future. So if you're used to dumping stuff in there, try and avoid doing it. There's what? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've got an audio uh, feed going through there as well. Uh, so people can listen to me should they wish to. Um, on another note... Did you just whack Ben for laughing at that joke? Yeah. It's true. The best bit is listening to the Bible reading. My stuff's only good if it's bringing us back to the Bible reading. Um, anyway, I digress. Next week, we're starting our series uh, again in Luke's Gospel. So, no. But well done. You found it. I was going to say, you, you've got a week's notice to search out where you've put this somewhere in your house. Uh, I can see some people there be like, I have no idea where it is. So you've got a week um, to find it. <laughs> well, it means it's ready, doesn't it? Um, we do have a couple at the back for those who maybe have joined us since the series started. Um, yeah, if, if you joined earlier and you've lost it, um, don't, don't try and nab those just yet. We'll see. We might be able to get some more space. Anyway, that's next week. Um, today we're going to be in Psalm 21. To be honest with you, I woke up this morning. Uh, it was dark. I didn't want to get out of bed. Um, I thought, I don't want to get up early. I'm kind of enjoying, I was going to say, I'm kind of enjoying this sort of like new routine. It's only been a week, hasn't it, um, that I've been off. So I, yeah, I didn't want to get up. But when I did get up and I looked through uh, afresh what we're looking at this morning, it warmed my heart. Uh, it's good to see uh, the goodness of God. I was glad that I got out of bed. So let's pray uh, that we would see that afresh again now as we come and, and look at Psalm 121. Father, as we have been singing uh, that truth uh, for our hearts in those times where we're troubled, to know that you are good, God, and we see uh, your goodness uh, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we pray that we would see him that we would delight ourselves uh, in him as we come and we spend that time meditating uh, on this psalm now. Lord, thank you that you do reveal yourself, that you have given us your word, Lord, the written word uh, and the living word, Jesus Christ, or the full revelation of who you are. Lord, open our eyes wide uh, and fill our hearts uh, with that good knowledge of who you are. Amen. So when I first became uh, a father, I, I remember standing over the cot and looking at this tiny, precious gift of life uh, that God had given. And having that sense, that overwhelming sort of emotion of wanting to protect and to look after uh, our newborn child uh, and to keep them from harm, you know, to be with them, to all these sort of things in life, even at the age of, I suppose, 28, 
think it was about 28. Yeah, about the age of 28. There are things that I've experienced in life and knowing some of the challenges and some of the things that I've been through as a, a child. And like, I don't want Seth to have to experience that myself or some of those potential dangers. I'm wanting to be there to, to protect and to guide. And yet also knowing that actually that wasn't feasible. In a few years' time, you'd be off to school and you can't go to school with your kids. There's a limit to how much that you can do, how much you can protect them. And even then, as a tiny baby, there was a, a limit because I couldn't be there always. I needed to sleep. I needed to rest. And even if I could be there at every moment, still there's limitations on what I could do. I can't protect from every danger. You know, and there are moments where I think probably tried, and even now, maybe not always giving some of those risks that I should wanting to, to protect and to keep from harm. But it's just not possible. There are dangers in life that even now at the age of 40 that I'm ignorant of. Things that we're not aware of. And as I quietly poured my heart out to God in that moment, standing over that cot, the words of Psalm 121 came to mind. This psalm that proclaims that the almighty God is one who doesn't slumber, who doesn't sleep. And what I wanted to provide, you know, what I need for myself, what we want for Azrael, what we want for all the children here, what we all need is found in Jesus Christ. So as we're considering Psalm 121 this morning, it's good to remember as we've just celebrated Christmas, the same God who came to dwell with his people Israel, the God whose glory filled the tabernacle, who filled the temple, is the God who has come to dwell with us. That's what we're remembering at Christmas, what we're giving thanks for. It's not another God, it's not a different Lord. But that same Lord, the same God in the Old Testament, whose glory filled the tabernacle, came not to dwell in a tent, but in human flesh. And the Lord that we read of here in Psalm 121 is the same Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the help that we need, the help that we desire, that we look for, is that eternal, enduring help that is given to us in Christ. Uh, two things that we're going to consider as we look at the psalm this morning uh, and how our help is found in the Creator God and the Caring God. Creator God. If you uh, have a Bible with you, um, do have it open to Psalm 121, and we do have some available at the back, um, or use a mobile device. Psalm 121, a song of ascent. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Now, as we think of mountains, we might imagine them as being perhaps places of danger, perilous paths that are weaving through the mountains, places where bandits, where robbers might hide, ready to jump out and to attack you. But actually in Scripture, the mountains are more often given as this picture of places of refuge, places of help. So less a place where robbers hide and more a place where you can hide, 
where you can find safety. And so as the psalmist lifts up their eyes, they look to the mountains. They're looking at all these potential places of refuge, surrounded by promises of protection. Now here in Thurfield, we're not surrounded by mountains. We're on a high point. We're not on a mountain, a bit of a hill. Uh, but we are surrounded in life by these promises of protection. The world is a marketplace of sanctuaries. It's like all these stalls that are set out before us, offering these promises of protection. Now, this will get you through the next day. You know, this is where your hope and your help is to be found. We won't see literal mountains, but what we will see are billboards, adverts, adverts on TV, adverts on social media, pop-ups on our computer screens, and these are some of the less subtle forms. There's the various narratives that we're presented with in our culture, whether that comes through books or, or films or music. Then there's the cultural norms, cultural expectations, the various fads and the various trends, these multiple voices, and they're all offering promises of protection, promises of help in some way. Now, we'll make your life better. Now, some of these things we're presented with are downright deadly. Others, they make very good servants, but if they're exalted to the place of being master, then they become terribly enslaving. And the real question is, where are we looking for our help? So many promises that are on offer. Where are we going to set our gaze? I lift my eyes to the mountains. Promises of protection. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? And the psalmist directs us to set our gaze on the most certain, on the most secure source of help. Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So the Lord, the one who made the heavens and earth, the creator God, everything comes from him. And we've considered in the past before, there are two categories of things in life. There's God, and then there's everything else. God exists in his own category. He's not just a bigger form of those sources of help or protection that we might experience in this world. He's in his own category. He's infinitely greater. Now, we're always trusting in something. That might be in ourselves, might be uh, in something else. The crucial question that we need to ask is, is the thing we're trusting in qualified to help? If you're in a hospital, you wouldn't want the cashier in the hospital shop performing open heart surgery on you. Would you? you? You want the person who's qualified to help. You want the surgeon to be doing that job. We're all trusting in something. And the question we need to ask is, is that thing or is that being qualified to help? Now here we're told the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. Which means he's infinitely greater than anything else, than any other source of help. It also means he's infinitely greater than any threat that we might face in life. There is no situation that you are going through 
There is no situation that you might face that is bigger than the Lord. Neither your problems, nor your fears, nor your struggles, not even your sin is greater than the Lord. There is no one who is better, no one who is more able, more qualified, more willing to help than the Lord. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And just notice the personal language that's used here in these verses. Where does my help comes from? Where does my help, I keep saying comes, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. See, I can tell you about the Lord. We can tell one another uh, about the Lord. And we'll see that in verse 3 and following, that actually that is something that we are to do. That we're to tell one another about the Lord. But verses 1 and 2, they have to be personally applied. We all have to ask, where does my help come from? In Azriel's dedication this morning, we weren't making Azriel a Christian. We can't do that. We can't make anyone a Christian. We can't make that decision for them. It's a decision that people have to personally apply for themselves. And as we look at these metaphoric mountains, as we lift our eyes to those mountains that surround us, the promises of protection, as we look at them, we then need to ask, well, who are we looking to? Who are we looking to? Where does your help come from? It's a question we all have to answer in life. It's not necessarily a question that is given much thought at times. But it is a question that every single person has to answer. What or who are we trusting in? Now, we can't make people trust in the Lord, but we can point them to the Lord. We can point one another to the Lord. And as we truthfully proclaim who the Lord is, what He has done, what He is doing, as we make His goodness, as we've sung, clear, as we speak of His greatness, we start to drown out some of those empty voices. Those empty voices that promise protection, that swirl around us every day. It's what our children need to hear as they grow up. They need to hear this message of where true help comes from. It's what we all need to hear. It's what I need to hear. We need to hear it on a daily basis. So many mountains that surround us, so many promises of protection. We need to have our eyes lifted to where help is truly found. Our help comes from the Lord. And what is this help then that the Lord provides? We're going to consider that in verses 3 to 8. The Lord who cares, the caring God. Uh, verse 3, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not, not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, of course, at this time of year, there is a risk of slight slippage, uh, whether that's icy, I and mean, we're not cold enough yet for ice, but I think it's coming maybe this week, uh, or certainly mud, 
There is plenty of mud around Thurfield at this point in time. But, you know, if, if we slip on mud, we slip on ice, probably at worst we might get a break or a fracture. Most likely some bruising, whether that's physical bruising or bruising to our ego. But if you are travailing through mountainous territory and you've got a sheer drop on your right uh, and on your left, now a slip, that could be the end of you. Sheer drops. And here we read, the Lord will not let your foot slip. He will not let your foot slip. This isn't a promise for an easy life. Walking a mountainous path is not easy. And the Lord, in His goodness, at times will lead us along paths that we would not choose for ourselves. And we might be tempted in those times to turn back, thinking that this path will be my undoing. This path will lead to my destruction. It's too dangerous. And we read here, he will not let your foot slip. And he watches, he watches over us. He doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber. God's not distracted at a crucial moment. Sometimes we can think of the work of Christ just in terms of his death and his resurrection. So Jesus died for our sins on the cross. He rose to life. He ascended to heaven. And then we're like, um, we're just kind of now waiting until he comes back. And we can sometimes feel like, well, now it's, it's all over to us. Jesus, he's given us a clean slate. We've got forgiveness. We've got the hope of a future physical resurrection. And now it's just kind of, well, let's hold on and hope that we get there. But in Hebrews 7, 7.25, we read, uh, just get back to uh, 24 actually, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood, and therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. He always lives to intercede. Jesus hasn't said right now, I've done my part. It's all over to you. He continually watches over. He watches over his people. He intercedes. He works to help us. And we see in the book of Acts, we're, we're going back to Luke uh, next week, Acts being the second volume, which speaks of the continued work of Jesus as a resurrected and ascended Lord. Uh, and there we read of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And as Stephen uh, is being stoned uh, in that moment as he faces death, he looks and he sees kind of heaven ripped open, sees into this other dimension, so to speak. And he sees Jesus not seated but standing, which is strange because normally uh, we read of Jesus having ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father, his work of redemption is complete. He's now ruling and he's reigning. But here is Stephen facing death and Jesus is standing. He's not sitting passively watching. He's standing, the one who intercedes, the one who is actively involved. And even if following Jesus should lead to our physical death, 
the Lord's promise is he will not let us perish. Jesus Christ, our high priest, he watches over us even now. He is interceding for us. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. You're never out of sight. You're never out of his mind. Trials of many kind, they may come. Scripture tells us that we shouldn't be surprised when we do face trials of many kinds. But when those trials come, the Lord is our help. Those perilous paths, they won't be our undoing. And those forces that would seek to destroy us ultimately will not. They cannot harm us. Verse 5 goes on to say, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. And that image of the sun harming us by day, that, that metaphor perhaps is a bit more obvious to us. That the midday sun beating down, certainly in a hot climate, it can be deadly. And you know, even in a fairly moderate climate like here in the UK, sunstroke is a possibility. We can see how the sun can kind of metaphorically strike someone. But what does it mean for the the moon, the moon to harm people by night? In some ancient cultures, uh, there was this view uh, that the moon could afflict the mind. Now, it's not that the Bible is uh, necessarily teaching this view, but taking things that people feared, The psalm declares that the Lord will not allow any affliction to ultimately harm those who trust in him. And if we take the sun as this picture of physical hardships, then the moon may well serve as this picture of emotional, of mental hardships. And in both situations, the Lord is watching over his people. Now, sometimes we... We can have this view, and it is not something that we necessarily express, but it, it can be something that we sort of think in the back of our mind, that God is, God's interested in the sort of spiritual things. And you know, the physical side of, of life, the, the emotional, the, the mental side, he's, he's less interested uh, in that stuff. And so there are certain things that we come to God for, seeking help, and there are other things where we're like, well, you know, we just... God's not so much into that. We, we need to ride it out. We need to deal with it ourselves. That's not what we see in the psalm, though. It's not what we see in Scripture. It's not when we see, what we see when we, when we look at Jesus. You may recall back when we were in Luke, uh, it's going way back, probably about March time now, when Jesus encounters that widow. He's just lost uh, her only son. And we see there's something of Jesus' compassion as he, he goes towards this woman, as he raises the son from the dead. And we saw in that, Jesus doesn't do this because he's like, this will be a good publicity stunt. There's lots of people around here. He doesn't even do it because he says, well, there's a spiritual lesson that I want to teach from it. Rather, as we saw in that passage, Jesus moves towards that woman because his heart goes out towards her. He is moved with compassion. And God is one who is compassionate. He is so compassionate. He is concerned 
with the whole of our life. Because the completeness of our salvation is in resurrection. That's how we know God is one who is concerned with the whole of our life. He is interested in our entire being. Complete wholeness is what his purpose, what he is ultimately working towards. Now, we may not see that in this life. In fact, we won't see that complete wholeness in this life. Only when Jesus returns do we see that complete wholeness in resurrection. But God is interested in our whole being. It's not that we're going to be disembodied spirits, that God's just interested in in kind of the spiritual element. He's interested in our whole being. And because God is concerned with wholeness, and that is everything that He's, that's what He's moving everything towards, now we can come to Him with whatever trial we're facing, whether it's whether it's spiritual trial, whether it's physical whether it's mental or emotional, all our trials we can bring to him. We can seek his help in those times. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Now notice God's not described as removing those forces here in the psalm. He doesn't remove the things that will cause harm. Rather, he keeps them from being these forces of destruction. That word harm here, uh, talk about the sun not harming you or the moon by night, is actually to be struck down. These things will not strike you down. The sun and the moon, they may still be present, but when the Lord is our shade, even these trials, they will not ultimately be our undoing. They will not strike us down. We're not promised a carefree life. But when the Lord is our help, the end, we're told, is guaranteed. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Now, we don't have to read far into Scripture to discover that being kept from all harm doesn't mean we're going to float through life uh, on a cloud of great tranquility. Joseph, Genesis, sold by his brothers into slavery. And in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph said to his brothers, you intended to harm me. This was a plan to cause harm. But he said, God intended it for good. To accomplish what's now happening, the saving of many lives. And so to be kept from all harm, as we read about in verse 7, it doesn't mean to be kept from all suffering. What it does mean, though, is that the schemes of people, even of demonic powers, ultimately will not succeed. That what is intended to cause harm, ultimately, God will bring about for good. But we may not see that in this life. We may not see that now in this life. Now, as a family, we have experienced a number of sort of medical challenges over the years. And it's not obvious what they're achieving. Now, even with hindsight, looking back, and it's not easy to say, well, God, I see that from that 
you've, you've achieved this and you've brought this good out of it. Now, sometimes it's still a mystery. And it can be easy to just say to God, that wouldn't it have been better if these things just never happened in the first place? I can't see the benefit that these things have had either in my life or in the lives of others. We don't always see it, not even with hindsight. Now, when Joseph said that in Genesis 50, he was at the end of the story. We're not at the end yet. We're not at the end of our story. And sometimes in this life, we will not see, we will not understand what it is that God is working, how he is taking those plans that are intended for harm and how he is turning them for good. Because we're not at the end of the story. But if we want to see, if we want to know how he's doing that, then we need to look not at our story now, but the completeness of that story in Jesus Christ. How that story is complete. And it's in resurrection. It's in wholeness. It's in completeness where there's no decay, where there's no corruption, where there's no sorrow. But the end is to share in the life and in the reign of Christ in all its fullness forever. A new heavens and a new earth where the former things will be remembered no more. Now today, as we were giving thanks for Azrael, we weren't remembering the, the pains of the birth process. That wasn't what was being called to mind. What we were doing, we, we were seeing and rejoicing in what they were achieving. The end result. And that's why the Apostle Paul, who was no stranger to suffering, could say that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And if we feel the pain of suffering now, if we, if we honestly believe that scripture, it means if we feel the pain of suffering now, then how much greater must that future glory be? These troubles that we are experiencing now. And remember, this is a man speaking who was no stranger to affliction. They are achieving an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And the question of suffering is one that I think we all struggle with in different ways. Sometimes. Maybe it's because the deliverance that we have in mind just cannot compare to the immensity of the deliverance that God is working on. And I know that these words, they may not come as the first comfort when we're in the middle and in the midst of grief. And we do need wisdom in how and when we share this truth. But it is a truth that we all need to hear, that we need to see, that we need to hold on to. That in those moments where the road seems perilous, when it looks like 
the Lord has failed us. And when we're tempted to just turn to those other sources of hope, to look at those other mountains, we need to see that goodness of God and His eternal purpose in Christ. And when we're faced with much that we don't know, we press on with what we do know. And what we do know is that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And as we look at the cross, we see God's heart revealed as we look at our resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus. Now we see God's good and his glorious purpose. So as we walk the path of this life, as we face trials of many kinds, as we look at those mountains, those places of refuge, as we have that that longing, that desire for refuge and for safety, then let's lift our eyes even further. And look to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, that in Christ we have a hope and we have a help to which nothing else can compare. Let's pray. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though we thank you that even if we should face trials of, of many kinds where it feels like life uh, is crumbling around us, well, that you are that certain help. And even when there's much that we can't see and there's much that we can't understand, or that you have purposed a glorious redemption uh, in Christ. Father, we pray that our eyes would be fixed uh, on Jesus, that we would encourage one another uh, with this truth, whether we're young or whether we're old, or whatever stage we're going through, that, that we at the start of this year, Lord, may set our gaze afresh on Christ and that we would speak the truth of that glorious salvation one to another or to spur one another on. Lord, and to see that in Christ uh, we have a certain and secure hope to which nothing can compare. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or would like prayer relating to anything you've just heard, then please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. You can do so by emailing us using hello at thurfieldchapel.org or fill in the contact form on our website or send us a message on social media. Thank you again. and Please do join us next week online or in Thurfield itself at one of our services or events. We would be delighted to welcome you. God bless.